Good morning. I'm just going to be pretty honest with you this morning. I woke up this morning not feeling very well, so you may see that I'm sitting down a little bit more than usual. Uh, probably not going to get up and be walking around. And, uh, you know, it just made me think as I was getting up here that perhaps there's something that may be distracting you from hearing from God right now, uh, just like I'm a little bit distracted. And so I just thought I would stop and ask that God would remove any distractions that are out there. Let us get through uh, what it is he has for us this morning and that we could all learn from his word. So would you just pray with me real quick? Um, Father, we do come to you this morning. We recognize that there are a number of things that that are competing for our attention, whether it's health issues or financial issues or work issues or issues at home. I just pray that as we come these next few moments and dive into your word, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would be able to hear from you, that we would not be distracted by anything that's going on around us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning, and Lord, we do expect to hear from you in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, what I'm about to say may come as a shock to some of you, uh, but here it is. Wise people save money. I know, I know, it's shocking, right? We, we've all lived long enough that, that we know, it's like somewhere deep inside of our hearts, we know that we're supposed to be saving money. And what we see over and over again throughout the scripture is that wise people save money. In fact, we've used this verse over and over again, Proverbs 21.20, and I think it's kind of good if we repeat verses over and over again, because hopefully if we repeat them long enough, then they become a part of us, and, and then we can start doing what they say. But Proverbs 21.20 says, precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them all. So basically, if you consume everything you make, if you spend everything you make, then you're foolish, you're fool. And I've been there, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I constantly find myself there. Unfortunately, a lot of times we find ourselves at the end of the money with some month still left over. Anybody ever been there? Can I get an amen on that? Maybe I'm the only one. All right, and, and what we see from Scripture is that the opposite is supposed to be true, that we're supposed to be saving, that we're supposed to be uh, living by a different standard. The Wall Street Journal says that 70% of Americans... of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. They have nothing going into savings. They don't know what's going to happen. A a Gallup poll says 68% of Americans would be unable to cover a $5,000 emergency if they were to have one without going to a credit card or home equity line of credit. 68% of Americans wouldn't be able to cover. Think about how quickly $5,000 can add up. That's, That's a... Pretty quickly, a car repair, depending on what happens. Or it could be a, a house. If you've got a leaky roof, all of a sudden you need a new roof. That's $5,000. You think about a, a medical issue. You end up going to the emergency room. You can be spending $5,000 in a heartbeat, or more likely, lack of a heartbeat. Right? It can add up real fast. And we all know that these things are coming. We know that life happens to everyone. So why is it that we don't? set money aside and save up for those things. Um, Dave Ramsey says this, he says, hey, I've done stupid and it always cost me money, right? And I can attest to that, number one, right here, I've been foolish more times than I care to admit, and almost always it has cost me money, sometimes with a couple zeros on the end. But the Bible says that if we're wise, we will save. And in the last few weeks, I feel like we've kind of hit on some of the things that we shouldn't do. And uh, uh, we, we often find ourselves knowing, hey, 
I've made a lot of foolish mistakes in my past, and I, I need a good example of what a wise person looks like. What does it look like to save? Where does that come from? How do I begin doing that? And what, are, what is the importance? And I think we've got a great story this morning from Genesis chapter 41 about Joseph. And if you know the story of Joseph, man, it's such a great story. I love this story. Joseph, he's got 11 brothers, and uh, he's, he's kind of his dad's favorite, and it makes his brothers jealous, so they decide they're going to kill him. But then the last minute, they decide they don't want to kill him, so they sell him into slavery. He ends up in slavery in this guy's house, and he, whatever he does prospers. But then the man's wife wants to be with Joseph, and Joseph's like, no way, I'm out of here. And he gets accused of something that he didn't do and thrown into jail. And while he's in jail, he's able to interpret some dreams for some people. And he says, hey, I've interpreted your dreams, so when you go and you stand next to the king, Pharaoh, remember me and tell Pharaoh about me. You think the guy remembers? No, he doesn't remember. And so two more years, Joseph sits in prison until one day Pharaoh has a dream. And nobody can tell Pharaoh what the dream means. And finally, the cupbearer says, hey, you know what? There's this guy in prison named Joseph, and he can tell you what dreams mean. And so they go and they get Joseph and they grab him, and they pull him out of prison. They shave him, they clean him up, they make him look nice. They put him in some nice clean clothes and set him before the king, and the king tells him his dream. And we're going to start this morning in in Genesis chapter 41, uh, starting in verse 15, it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I'm not able to, Joseph answered to Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when seven well-fed, healthy-looking cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, Seven other cows, ugly, very sickling, and thin, came up. I've never seen such ugly ones as these in all of the land of Egypt. Then the thin, ugly cows ate the first seven well-fed cows. When they had devoured them, you could not tell that they had devoured them. Their appearance was as bad as it had been before. And then I woke up. In my dream, I also had seven heads of grain, plump and ripe, coming up on one stalk, and then... After them, seven heads of grain, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump ones. I told this to the magicians, but no one can tell me what it means. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven ripe heads are seven years. The dreams mean the same thing. The seven thin, ugly cows that came up after the seven, uh, came up after them are seven years, and the seven worthless scorched heads of grain are seven years of famine. It is just as I told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is going to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place in the land of Egypt, and the, the seven good years will be forgotten. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter has been determined by God and he will carry it out. 
So now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to set over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth of the harvest. That's 20%, one fifth. Take a fifth of the harvest of the land during the seven years of abundance and let them gather all the excess food during these good years that are coming. Under Pharaoh's authority, store the grain in the cities so that they may preserve it as food. The food will be a reserve for the land during the seven years of famine that will take place in the land of Egypt. Then the country will not be wiped away. What happens next in the next few verses is Pharaoh says, Hey, look, you, I set out to have this dream interpreted. I went to the wisest, smartest people I could find in all of Egypt. I went to my magicians. I went to my, my philosophers and all those smart people that are here. And no one could tell me what it means. He says, you have been able to tell me what it means. I'm putting you in charge, Joseph. And he, he gets a big gold chain and a nice ring, makes Joseph look a little bit like Mr. T, right? And so Joseph's walking around looking like Mr. T, and he says, I pity the food that will put away 20%, right? And he's walking around, and, and Pharaoh says, hey, look, I'm going to be the only person that's above you. In all of Egypt, you're going to be second in command. No one else will be above you except for me, Pharaoh the king. Right? And, and so they put this food away. For seven years, they put away 20, 20% of everything that they collect. Now, let's, let's look down at verse 53. It says this, Then the seven years of abundance in the land came to an end, and the seven years of famine began. Joseph had said, <coughs> just as Joseph had said, There was famine in every country, but throughout the land of Egypt there was food. Extreme hunger came to all the land of Egypt, and the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh told Egypt, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Because the famine had spread across the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Every nation came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, for the famine was severe in every land. Man, what a story. What a story. You've got... You've got some crazy things going on in this story, and we're going to talk about some of those in just a little bit. But the first thing that I want us to see from this story is that saving is absolutely necessary. Saving money is absolutely necessary. And and I don't want to scare you uh, this morning, but I think we've all lived long enough to know that life happens to everyone. Life is going to happen to every single one of us. Uh, Disaster is coming. It's only a matter of time. Uh, Money Magazine says that 78% of Americans will have a major negative financial event in any single 10-year period. So look around the room, count 10 people, and eight of you are going to have a serious financial crisis at some point in the next 10 years, within a 10-year period. Right? That's pretty amazing. And, and what we have to realize is that life is going to happen to every single one of us, but we can be prepared. We can follow the example. Now, I'm not going to say that 20% is, is like what God is telling you to put away, although if you put away 20% for a little while, you're going to be doing, you're going to be really well prepared, right? Uh, but the point is that we ought to be saving something, putting something aside. And this is why we have, if you've been going through the FPU, we have our emergency fund. Right? You have that little emergency fund to get you started, and then you pay off all your debt, and then you build that emergency fund to be a little bit bigger. So when you have these big events, it's not catastrophic. It's not like a famine that would come and wipe you out completely, leaving you destitute. The number one cause 
of personal bankruptcy in America is medical debt. Medical debt is the number one cause. And what, what usually happens is someone in the family gets sick, mom, dad, kid gets sick, and now on top of a medical crisis, you have a financial crisis because we can't pay for it. And usually, along with bankruptcy, uh, people end up filing for divorce because they just can't handle the stress of marriage and the finances. But if we would just set a little bit aside, if we would just follow this example and set a little bit aside, then we could be a little bit better prepared. We all know that life is going to happen. So why don't we have money in the bank? Why don't we put stuff away? What could be more important than protecting your family from a nightmare situation? What could be more important than that? And how does this relate to Genesis uh, 41? You know, what we see here is that we have Egypt, one of the absolute richest countries in the world at this time, most fertile area in the world. And we've got, we've got Pharaoh, who's an absolute monarch in fact, he was, he was worshipped as a god, and, and he's got control over the land and over the people, and his word is law. But there's something interesting about this interaction with God and Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh thinks that he's in control. Pharaoh thinks that he's the one that determines whether or not there's food and there's not food. And God comes to Pharaoh and says, hey, um, think again. You think you're under control? You think you can do this on your own? I'll show you who's in control. I'm going to take everything from you. You're going to go through a severe famine. But what I love about this story is that God also says, you're going to go through a famine, but I'm also going to show you a way that I'm going to provide for you even in the midst of the difficult times. If you'll just do what I say, if you'll just follow this man, Joseph, and do what he says, I'm going to show you how if you follow my word, even in the worst circumstances, I'm still going to provide for you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how if we would just follow God's word, even in the difficult circumstances in life, there would still be provision. Still be provision. And I love, I love that, um, you know, think about the players in this story. You've got the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You've got a seemingly almighty king. And then you've got Joseph, a slave who's in prison. And God uses someone from the most humble circumstances and raises him up to bring wisdom. And what I love about this story is, is that often our pride gets in the way. Because we don't have the answers, and because of our pride, we're too ashamed to go and find the answers. But there's something that I kind of admire about Pharaoh is that Pharaoh, who is the almighty king, he is... He was worshipped as a god, is humble enough to say, I don't have the answers. Nobody else here has the answers. I'm going to go to the lowest person around and find the answers. You know, sometimes God doesn't expect us to have all the answers, but he wants us to be seeking them out. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I don't, I don't understand how to save. It's never been taught to me. I don't get it. We want you to know that, that one of the reasons we're going through FPU is because we want to help you find the answers. And there are people here who have been successful in doing this, and they want to help you find the answers. We don't pretend to know it all. I don't know it all. I'm learning alongside of you just, just the same way that you are. It's okay to not have the answers. But don't just sit there and mope because you don't have the answers. Go find the answers. 
Go find the answers. Seek God, seek his will, and he'll provide you with the answers. I love what Joseph says. Uh, We see a very clear message to Pharaoh about what's coming. And twice it says this. It says that it has been determined by God that this is going to happen. It's been determined by God that the famine is coming. Now, anytime God says it's been determined, like firmly determined, then you know it's going to happen. You can count on it. And what we know from God's word we know that life is going to happen. We know that things are going to come up. In Ecclesiastes 11.2, it says this. It says, Give a portion to seven or eight, for you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. Right? Those of you who are investors, you like investing, here's God saying, diversify, right? He's saying, look, invest in a couple different things. Put money in a couple different areas. Put it away. Save it. Put it in these different areas because you don't know what's going to happen. Life may happen. Life will happen. And when it happens, if you're spread out, if you've got a little bit saved up over all these places, if something really bad happens over here, hey, you've still got these other seven places where you've been saving up. You've got, you've got a little buffer. You've got your emergency fund. Life is going to happen. Things are going to happen. But God says, look, if you follow my plan, you'll be okay. It's not a matter of if there will be an emergency. It's a matter of when. It's a matter of when, and God wants us to be prepared. His word encourages us to save. Saving is absolutely necessary. The second thing we see from this story with Joseph is that saving is a decision. You know, Joseph doesn't just go to Pharaoh and say, hey, the famine's coming, good luck. No, he says, hey, the famine's coming, and here's what you need to do. He goes beyond just interpreting the dream, and he gives an action plan, and I love it. I love it when people come to me with an action plan. A lot of times what people want to do is they want to come to you and complain about a problem and they want you to fix it. Anybody ever have that happen at work? Usually my first response is, great, what are you going to do about it? Right? You have a great ministry idea. You bring it to the pastor. Pastor's going to say, great. When are you going to sign up to lead it? As soon as you lead it, we can go forward, right? Uh, I, I love it when people come and they say, hey, here's the problem. Here are three options that I think we can do to get over this problem. Man, that excites me more than nothing else. That is a great thing. And so Joseph comes and he says, look, we have this problem. It's coming, but here's the plan. Let's write it down. Let's write it down what we're going to do. Pharaoh's writing it down. He's putting it in the books. And then he says, he puts a number on it. He's not just general. He's not like, hey, tell everyone to save as much as they can over the next seven years. He says, no, we're going to put aside 20%. 20% is what we're going to put aside. So they've got a plan. They've got it written down. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a budget. It sounds like a budget. You know, uh, a lot of us view a budget as a straitjacket, you know, something that constricts us and confines us and keeps us from doing what we really want to do. But it's been amazing as my wife and I, uh, you know, we've always somewhat had a budget, but we've never been really good at sticking to it until we started the Dave Ramsey stuff. And uh, it's been amazing. In fact, this past week, Amanda and I were talking about, you know, we, we each have our blow money. And she said, you know, I, I wanted something and I went and got it. And before I wouldn't have gotten it because I would have felt guilty about spending the money. But I had this money that was mine and I could spend it however I wanted. So I got what I wanted because I had the freedom. And the budget, that's what I love about it. It's not a straitjacket. You're just telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went, right? Tell your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So if you want more fun in your budget, put more money in the fun bucket. 
if you want more safety and security in your budget, put more in the safety and security book, bucket. And this is exactly what Joseph does. He says, hey, we're going to have a plan. We're going to write it down and we're going to put numbers on everything. We're going to tell our, our grain where to go instead of wondering where it went when those seven lean years come. And so they do that. And he sets it aside. And then they have so much left over that not only are they selling to people in Egypt, but they're selling to all over the world. People from all over the world are coming. So if, if you're here this morning, if you're doing the Dave Ramsey stuff, man, you should have your budget going. New month is coming uh, two days from now, so you probably want to refresh that budget, sit down, have a budget meeting with your spouse if you're married. If you're single, find a friend who can hold you accountable and say, hey, can we go through this together? I need you to hold me accountable. Get out your envelopes, get going, and, and stick to your budget because it is absolutely necessary, and it's a decision that we have to make. We have to decide that we are no longer going to be satisfied with the status quo. We're going to tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. And I love Dave Ramsey's model because he says, hey, you take your income, first thing out is your giving. Whatever you give, wherever you give, you take that out first, next thing out is your saving. What are you going to save? Everything else is yours. Spend it however you want. And so whatever you set aside, again, the 20%, that's, I, I wouldn't necessarily say like that's a biblical standard or anything, but you ought to be putting something aside. Look at your budget every month and say, okay, what do we need to be setting aside if something were to happen? What can we, do we have our emergency fund fully funded? Are we ready to go? Or are we prepared? You've got to make saving a priority because here's, here's the thing. Nobody ever saves money by accident. You ever gotten to the end of the month and you're like, hey, I accidentally had $500 left. <laughs> that doesn't happen. It's usually the other way around. It's like, oh, I accidentally had a few overdrafts in there. I accidentally spent more than I expected to. So we've got to make it a priority. It's got to be something that we take very seriously. And, and when it comes to our savings, we have to be very careful. Because what you don't see with Joseph is you don't see Joseph saying, man, I need a late night snack. I think I'm going to go down to the grain barn and just pull out a little grain. You know, I want to go on this river cruise, so I'm going to pull out a little grain to pay for that river cruise out of our, out of our savings. No, he, he says we put it in these barns when we don't touch it until we absolutely need it. So if you've got to put a bear trap on that cookie jar where your emergency fund is, man, put that bear trap on it. It is not for you to go and borrow from to, to you know, shoes, purse, Guys, that new TV, that is not an emergency. That is not an emergency. These are for real emergencies. Leave it there, set it aside, make it a priority. Make it a priority because, as I said, with Joseph in Egypt, something really amazing happened. Not only were they able to provide for the entire country of Egypt, but they were able to sell grain to people from all over the world. And this is the last thing I want us to see about saving, is that saving money protects your family and those around you. Disciplined savings can add up very quickly. When you're disciplined about it and you're conscious and you're telling every dollar where to go and you're telling some of that money to go into savings and you don't touch it and you're disciplined about it, it's going to add up much quicker than you think. It's going to add up and it's going to be there. And I love how only saving 20%, think about this, only 20% for seven years, only 20%, they were able to feed the entire country and other parts of the world with just 20%. That's pretty significant. That's a pretty significant turnaround. And we look at this and we wonder, how is this even possible? And here's my theory. 
because God was involved. God was involved in the process. God said, hey, I'm going to give you a plan. If you follow my plan, things will work out. I'll provide for you, and I'll protect those around you. And that's what our savings does. When we follow God's plans for saving, and we're persistent in our saving, you make it part of your daily life, it becomes a perfectly natural part of who you are. And before you know it, you're following God's plan, and that disaster comes, and you're able to pay for it. You're taken care of. There is no emergency. There's no financial emergency attached to the real emergency. Because you followed God's plan. And I love, I love that the rest of the story is that Joseph's family ends up coming. He ends up providing for them. He ends up helping them in a way. Uh, and most of us, man, we get asked to do and to give to so many different things. We've got a mission trip going to Haiti. And some of you may be sitting next to someone who's going to go to Haiti. And you'd say, man, that person in my community group, I would love to be able to help them get to Haiti. But I just can't because I'm broke. Or I would love to sponsor a child in Africa for just $39 a day to be able to, or $39 a month to, to help them go to school, have housing, be able to stay in church and have clothes and have food, just $25, $39 a month, whatever it is. But I can't because I'm broke. And I would love to be a part of fill in the blank, but I can't because I'm broke. When you have that savings, when you have that stuff set aside and you start looking at your budget, then it becomes more free. You are now empowered to give. Your savings is going to empower you to give because you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about every little thing that comes up along the way. And I love how Joseph takes care of his family. Proverbs 13.22 says this, Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man, a wise man, leaves an inheritance to his grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. So some translations say, A wise person leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Right? That means that not only have you saved up enough over your entire life that, that you can live out your old age and, and leave something to your children, but you're also leaving some to your children's children, that there's enough to go around that you have planned well. Let me tell you, if you're relying on Social Security for your retirement, man, your hope is in the wrong place. You only have to add up a few numbers to see that that's not going well. God wants us to be saving. He wants to to be preparing. But let me tell you this. This is much more than just about money. This is much more than just about money because you can give someone money. If you give someone money and no training, they're going to blow it. They're going to lose the money. How many stories have you heard about someone winning the lottery or inheriting a fortune? I heard a story about a guy who inherited $80 million at age 30, and by age 35, he'd blown through it all, and he was working at Starbucks. I'd at least like a chance to do that, wouldn't you? I think I could do maybe a little better. Maybe I'd make it to 36, right? But if you give someone money and no training, they're going to lose it. But if you give them training and no money, They'll find a way to get money. So we're talking about leaving legacy. We're talking about training our children. We're talking about training our grandchildren. And let me just say this. We're, we're talking about finances right now, but there is absolutely nothing more important than leaving a, not just a financial legacy, but a spiritual legacy in your family. Are you training your children what it means to, be, uh, to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior? And what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ as their Savior? 
Man, that is the absolute most important thing that you can do. And you may come from a family, a, a long line of non-believers, but you are the one who can make the change and say, the change starts now. I'm going to invest in my kids. I'm going to invest in them spiritually. I'm going to teach them every single day what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ because I don't want to just impact my children. I want them to be trained so well that they can train other people. And some of those other people may be friends, neighbors, and coworkers, but I want them to be training my grandchildren. And I want my grandchildren to be so well trained in what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ that they will train their children. This is much bigger than just finances. We want to be leaving a spiritual legacy to those around us. We want to leave a spiritual inheritance to our families. That's the absolute most important thing that we can do. Imagine if you were able to not only leave your kids with money, but training on how to handle it. Think about what their life would be like, how free they would be to be able to do things, to do things for their grandchildren, to be able to give, to be able to serve in ways that you you weren't able to at an early age. How great would that be to be able to give them both? As we talk about savings, we've got to remember trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And Zig Ziglar says, if you do the things you need to do when you need to do them, then someday you can do the things you want to do when you want to do them. We've got to be making saving a priority. We want to head off disasters before they even start. We want to make a plan for our finances and protect our family and others around us. And above all, we want to honor God. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as we talk about saving, as we talk about building up something to leave uh, as an inheritance to our children, again, let me just remind us that we're talking about much more than just finances. We want to leave that spiritual legacy. We want our kids to see that our treasure is not in our house, our car, our job, our clothes, the size of our bank account, but our treasure is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we want to honor him in the way that we handle all of our things. This morning, I just ask that you would uh, allow me to close. I just want to pray for us, and I want to pray that God would give us wisdom um, in the way that we invest and save, not just our finances, but the spiritual lives that we have as well. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we do thank you that... You give us the plan. You give us the, the insight into your, your plan for our lives and to know that <clears throat> that disaster is coming, that it will come to certainly almost every single one of us will face an emergency, Lord. But if we follow your word and, and we're diligent about obeying your word and um, using our finances in a way that honor you, setting aside our money when those disasters come, Lord, we'll be prepared and we'll be able to, to even honor you through that. Someday, Lord, we may even be able to leave an inheritance to our children and our children's children. But more importantly, Lord, we ask that you would help us be good stewards of the gift of salvation that you've blessed us with. Lord, that, that whether we leave money to our kids um, and our grandkids, that we would be able to leave the legacy of being a follower of Jesus Christ. That generation after generation after generation would be impacted by the good news of Jesus because we have invested in our kids. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.